The scripture reading uh, today comes from Ephesians chapter 6. It's also printed in your bulletins. And we'll be reading from verse 10 through 20. And this will close out our year-long journey in the book of Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And this is God's word. The end of a year-long journey in Ephesians. If you've been visiting, if you're new, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter, his epistle to the Ephesians all year. We started in January, and we're finally coming to a close as we open up our season of Advent. And so I'm going to give you a quick review. In chapters 1 through 3, we talked about what powers the church. We said it's the gospel. The gospel powers the church. Because Jesus Christ died, we died. And because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, we rise again with him. And because of Jesus' love, because of Jesus' life, because of Jesus' death, we are in him union. And that union, it transforms everything in our lives. And so as Paul ebbs his way into chapter 4, chapter, the latter half, chapters 4 through 6, are very practical. Because you have new life in Christ, you can put off sin and put on the new self. Not because you are so able to do this, but Paul says you came to know Christ. You heard of Christ. You were taught in him. You are made new. And so chapter 4, we see that the gospel shapes the way you treat one another. The gospel shapes the way you relate to each other. The gospel shapes the way you work in the church. This is the end of gossip. This is the end of selfishness. This is the end of jealousy. This is the end of snobbishness. This is the end of fighting, infighting in the church. Chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, he reminds us and he says, you are dearly loved children. You are filled with the Spirit. And if you are, a Christian is filled with the Spirit, there's this humility. There's this gratitude that you live out of. It shapes how you treat each other. And so he goes into what ancient philosophers have always written in that time, in that era, as the household code. He addresses women first. He addresses children first. He addresses slaves first. Because he's saying you have inherent dignity. And so you should be treated. Treat one another differently 
than the way the world treats each other in the family context. And then we get to chapter 6. Paul concludes this amazing treatise on the meaning of the church. And he says this. He says, finally put on the full armor of God. It's a metaphor. He's saying that when you become a Christian, you have every resource to live a transformed life. It's like armor. You are thoroughly equipped to handle every suffering, every trouble, every hardship, every pressure because life is a war. So there's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be pressure. There's going to be trouble. Every day is a battle. You will battle every day then against your sinfulness. You're going to battle every day against your selfishness. You're going to battle every day against the desires that you have, these things that you want, the core beliefs. You've got to challenge them. You've got to battle. You've got to fight them. And there's going to be suffering. And he says that in verses 10 through 12, he says the enemy is going to use your trouble. The enemy is going to use your suffering. He's going to use uh, your, your, your uh, hardships to shape you with his lies. And so... Paul says, you need to stand. How are you going to stand? You know, the Garden of Eden, that's what happened. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, all the way back in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, they chose to be shaped by these lies. And so Paul's saying, as you go through life now, every suffering, every trial, every hardship, every doubt that you have, every insecurity, every time you experience loss, if you don't process what you see, if you don't process what you experience with every resource that's been given to you, every resource that's been given to Christians, armor, that armor of God, you will not stand. You won't last. And so when you become a Christian, what are these resources? Well, he says you have truth. You have righteousness, the righteousness of Christ given to you, endowed with that. You have a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. He says, you have faith. You have salvation. He says, put it on. Apply it in every circumstance. Today, we're going to look at the sword of the Spirit and prayer. And then we're going to end the series. It's kind of uneventful after a year. We're going to end the series just like that. What is the sword of the Spirit? What does Paul ask us to pray for? And how do we apply the sword and prayer in our lives in a way that's effective for us? What is the sword of the Spirit? What does Paul ask us to pray for then? And how do you apply the sword and prayer in your life daily? Simple, right? It's always been simple, this entire series. First, we're going to look at the sword of the Spirit. Verse 17, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now think about this. Paul begins the armor with the belt of truth, the Word of God. And he ends this treatise with taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A belt is neither offensive nor defensive, but a sword is both offensive and defensive. It's the only true offensive weapon in an armor. You can fight without a sword, but you will never win a war without a sword. In other words, you need the word of God. You need truth in your life in a way that's going to hold you together in the hard times. What else are you going to rely on? Otherwise, you'll be shaped by the lies. That's what Paul says. So you need truth like a belt. Hold everything together. But on the other hand, truth is like a sword. Now, swords throughout the Bible always represented the power to shape, the power to shape behavior, the power to change behavior. Hebrews chapter 4, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged 
sword. 2 Timothy chapter 3, his all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The word of God, it's like a sword. It's like a sword. You've got to apply in every circumstance in your life. That means that there's nothing that you face in life that God cannot address, that God does not address. And that's important. Why? Because today, especially today, there's a lot of people that fall into two deceptions in life. The first is they think that there's no such thing as real truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. And so the church is just really a sentimental thing where you can find friends. The church is just a sentimental place. The Bible is just a sentimental thing. You read it, you grew up reading it, you memorize it, you may study it, you may dialogue about it, talk about it, even engage in it, but it won't really shape you because it's not really true. You don't really believe that it's true. So when trouble comes, when you're battling hurt, when you're battling fear or selfishness, you in your heart believe you're alone. There's no power in your life. We're just devastated when things happen. Remember that movie Signs? Signs, uh, M. Night Shyamalan, Mel Gibson was the star. Signs, you have these aliens that invade the earth. What does it mean? And Mel Gibson, he says this. He says, people, they break down into two groups when they experience something. Group number one sees this as greater than luck, greater than coincidence. They see it as a sign, an evidence that there's somebody up there watching out for you. But group number two sees it as just pure luck, a turn of chance. Now, I'm sure that there are people in group number two who are very suspicious. It could be bad, it could be good, but deep down, they feel that whatever happens, they are on their own, and that feel, fills them with fear. And later on, he turns to them, his children, and he says, we're all, we're all on our own. We're alone. How you view suffering reveals the real truths that you believe. How you handle suffering in your life actually points to what you really trust in your life. If you're taking matters into your own hands, if you feel like you're really on your own, you're not wearing armor. You are naked. You are exposed. And so when you pursue wealth, when you pursue relationships, approval of other people, and you have these things right now, and you're young, and you're beautiful, and you're capable right now, when you have these things, you feel strong. When you lose these things, what happens? Absolutely devastated, filled with fear, because you're alone deep inside. Deep inside, you're alone. The other self-deception that we fall into is that we believe that merely knowing about God, merely knowing about salvation, Merely knowing about the gospel is the same thing as trusting God, trusting the salvation that we have in him, trusting in the gospel. We think it's the same thing as faith. So how do you beat that lie? Because that in itself is a lie. How do you beat that lie? Listen, you need to take everything that you've learned in Scripture, everything that you know about Scripture, everything you've known and heard about Jesus or about the cross or about the gospel, You've got to take all these things and apply it in every circumstance in your life. That means that the Bible is more than just a vitamin that you take to improve your life. That means you have to come to church not because you need a fix, not because you need some sort of shot of God. That's not how it works. You don't look at the Bible just when during the hard times. You don't look at the Bible just when you need something, just when you need guidance. You're just using God. 
It doesn't work that way. Because the Bible tends to hang together. And so that means that the Bible is more than just a vitamin, more than just a supplement in life. It contains the essential nutrients for life. It's not just a piece of jewelry. It's not just an ornament that you wear. It's a sword. You need it. It's your power. You know what swords do? They cut. The nature of a sword is what it cuts. It slices. It dismantles. And when you cut something, when you, what do you do? You're exposing the weakness. You need the word of God to hold you together and also to hold itself up against the other realities, the perceived truths in your life. Notice the text doesn't say, take up any sword. Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit. So what you hold on as your weapon of choice, what you wield as your sword reveals how you believe battles are won in life. The reality is because we all believe something. We're all processing and interpreting life, our hardships. We're constantly, your heart is constantly processing its experience day by day, moment by moment. You're constantly doing that. You're constantly interpreting life, which means you're all guided by some view of reality. You're guided by some view of truth in your life. So you can't say, well, I don't believe there's any truth because that in itself is a truth you believe. And you're going to be guided by that. It's going to shape you. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That means there is no greater reality that can be offered to help you interpret the life that you live. How else are you going to brave this life? How else are you going to journey through life, this dangerous world that we live in, and life, this world is incredibly dangerous. You can't just look at certain parts of Scripture, the parts that you like, or or leave out the parts that you don't like, because they all hang together, you see. They all speak into you, you see. You can't just embrace, embrace the parts of the Bible about God's love and his acceptance of you. Oh, it sounds really, really good. You can't just embrace those parts about his love and about his grace without embracing what it says about your sex life, without embracing what it says about your marriage, without embracing what it says about your role and your flaws and your sins, without, without it addressing what, how you uh, stay angry at people, your unforgiving quality, or how you give your lack of generosity how you treat people around you, how you treat people at work. If you're a soldier in a war, think about this, especially in ancient times. If you're a soldier in a war, the sword is your only true offensive weapon. You will be fighting, you'll be living a defensive battle for the rest of your life if you do not master the word. You're never going to advance, is what Paul's saying. So you have to apply that in every circumstance. You have to make it a daily practice to apply the word of God in your life, every circumstance. That means that when you're hurt by something, if you're hurt by somebody, what's the lie? The lie is what? You're alone in this. You've got to take matters into your own hands. Revenge is the answer. Do it yourself. Do it. When you're tempted to despair, what's the lie? You are alone in this. And this thing that you've experienced is going to ruin your life. You've got to do whatever it takes to get out of it. When you know something is not good for you, but you just desperately want it, you say, I need this thing in my life. What's the lie? Why would God withhold something good that you would want from you? There is no God. You're alone in this. What do you do? In every desire, in every fear, in every insecurity, you have to let the word of God 
the sword of the Spirit sliced into every one of those lies with truth, with real reality. That's the sword. The second thing Paul talks about, he says, verse 18, pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and pray for all the saints. That's what he says. So the sword of the Spirit is an offensive weapon against your desires. But prayer in the Spirit seeks to know what God desires. One thing I ask, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To know God's desire, everything God knows, what grieves God, what pleases God, because if you know everything that God knows, and if you have the heart that God has, you would want what God wants for you. A Christian is at war. God is your general. That means you gotta stay close. You gotta stay intimately connected. A soldier does not take one step lest the general say move. You see, you have to stay connected. We are enlisted soldiers of truth. Now, soldiers are often alone. There's tremendous statistics and, and uh, anecdotal uh, writings and documents and books and movies that you see. The soldiers, there's this inherent, it's, it's an inherent characteristic of a soldier. They're often alone. They need to be led. They're often afraid. I mean, they're young boys. A lot of times they're young boys, practically, just getting into adulthood, fighting and seeing the horrors of war. They need courage, you see? They've never experienced anything like this. They, they oftentimes have their own selfish agendas. They don't know what it means to leave those things behind. They need a commander. They're oftentimes lost. They need clarity. It's easy to despair. They need resilience. They need hope. Paul says, you are a soldier. It's easy to get lost. It's easy to despair. We look at that in our church, and we are so ashamed of our fears. We don't want to share it. We're so ashamed of, of our flaws, our weaknesses. And, and so we don't want to share it. We're so uh, afraid of our weaknesses and our brokenness and our helplessness, when in reality, that's what God wants to hear so that we can learn to depend on him more. You see? What does Paul tell us to pray for? Verse 19, he says, that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. What he's saying is on one hand, we're all in chains. We are all captives. We are all like prisoners here on earth. And when you're in prison, the enemy is constantly watching, constantly monitoring you. So you may feel free, but you're not really free. And the enemy is constantly trying to speak into you, bombarding you. They said that in World War II, as the soldiers were fighting to liberate cities, flyers would be dropped from above, sending Nazi propaganda everywhere so people would pick it up. And constantly, so when you're lost, and when you're scared, and when you're suffering, and you've seen your friends dying and morale is down, and you see flyers dropping from the sky from above, talking propaganda, lies, you start to believe it. You start to accept it as truth. You start to accept and start to buy into that view of reality, you see? The enemy is constantly watching, constantly monitoring, constantly sharing with you, speaking into you with lies. It's easy to buy the lie. It's easy to be afraid. And so Paul says, even me, 
even me. Pray that I would have courage to live out the gospel in every part of my life. Notice, Paul doesn't say, use the word of God to cut other people down. We tend to do that. We tend to, you know, we tend to get into the text in a way where we're always looking at how to cut somebody else down. That's not proper use of the sword. You can do that, and you can succeed, but it makes you arrogant, and that is not like Christ, and it makes you ungracious. That is not like Christ. It doesn't make you more compassionate. It doesn't make you more kind. It doesn't make the beauty of Christ look more beautiful when he is even more beautiful than any words can be expressed. You see? Paul says, don't use the word to cut people down. That's arrogant. That's self-reliant. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. What's the prerequisite of putting on this armor? The first thing we do, if you've ever joined a community group at Metro, is to acknowledge weakness, to acknowledge that I'm broken. Here's how I'm broken to acknowledge I'm helpless so that the gospel truth can be spoken into you, reminded and reinforced in you, and you will have an experience of God's presence. If you apply the gospel anywhere in your life, you will have God's presence everywhere in your life. And Paul says, I am an ambassador. He says, I am an ambassador in chains. What's an ambassador? The actual Greek word, believe it or not, the actual Greek word uh, for ambassador is presbuo. It's where you get the word elder. He says, an elder is like an ambassador. Why? Because think about it. These elders in the church, they are in many ways like ambassadors because an ambassador in the ancient times would have power, a sword in one hand and the message from the king on the other right? Direct connection. He says, you are an ambassador because you have the word, the sword of the spirit on one hand, and you have a direct link, a connection to the Lord on the other. You can pray. You are an ambassador. He says, you may be in chains, but you are free. You see? Paul says, pray that you will be able to declare it fearlessly in your life. How do you do that? You know how you do that? That means, imagine you're going to go through every dark recess of your heart. You have to run through every dark corridor in your life, every place of shame, every place of guilt, every place of hurt. We don't like to do that. We like to bury our hurts. We like to repress our hurts. He says, I want you to liberate yourself. Set that captive free. Run in there and through every dark quarter of shame and guilt and hurt and trauma, every tear, and declare victory. Declare the gospel fearlessly. You see, a God that is not real will never shape you. A God that is not real will never challenge your lifestyle. A lot of times we're sitting in a community group and you will open up your Bible and you say, I really don't like what I just read. I really don't like what we're discussing right now. I don't want to agree with this. This is why I left the church. But you don't realize that you're just becoming closer to God in the process. Good friends fight. If you're not intimate with somebody, you don't fight. You kind of stay at a certain level all your life. And that's comfortable. And that's easy. That's not real. That's not a real relationship. A God that comes close to you will fight. 
A God that comes close to you will run through every corridor of your heart and challenge every dark recess to set you free, to advance. You got to run through every dark corridor when you feel ugly, when you feel worthless, when you feel like, I just can't defeat this in my life. I can't kick it. When you are tempted, you say, you know, I I can't beat it anyway. I'm just going to give in. When you want to believe the lies of the enemy, you got to take the sword of the Spirit. You got to take truth of the Spirit that resides in you, that power. You got to process life through what the Lord is saying in the Word. You got to respond to others through the Word and pray and cut down that lie. That's a confident life, that's a humble life. See, a person who's arrogant has not experienced, is not wielding the sword of the Spirit because he's relying on himself. And he's been successful. He's been good at that. It's easy to do that for a while. Friends, I'm going to speak to you. I've got some decades on you, right? It gets harder. You're going to meet your match. I've seen the best of them. I'm at that age in my life where I'm starting to see more funerals. I'm in that tipping point where I'm starting to see funerals almost as much as I'm seeing weddings. It will get you. Life will do whatever it takes to get you. You don't even need Jesus to tell you that. Shakespeare said it. William Faulkner said it. Ernest Hemingway said it. A confident life is what you'll have. A humble life is what you'll have. A compassionate life. You'll become more compassionate. You'll become more gracious in the midst of suffering. Through the suffering, what's going to come out as a selfless person? If you're relying on yourself through the suffering, you're going to become a selfish person. Paul says, I am an ambassador of Christ. That means where I am, Jesus is present. I represent him. You can't just do it on your own. You have to be transformed into it. How does that play out? I'll tell you a story. Um, I heard, I, this is a conversation I'd never had, but I heard about this. In New York City, there was a powerful marketing executive who, uh, when hearing that one of his direct reports had made a big mistake, he actually, he actually took the place of that person and took the blame for that person. And so he was so high up, he didn't get fired for it, but his credibility, his reputation of being who he was, uh, definitely, probably never the same again. It ruined his credibility. It ruined his reputation. And this direct report, who absolutely knew and believed that she was going to get fired, had set up this time with this marketing executive and said, hey, listen, I've seen a lot of executives take credit for my work. I've never met a single one take blame for my work. Why did you do it? And he said, I'm going to tell you something, PC or not. Jesus Christ took the ultimate hit for me. What hit can I, can I not absorb for you? I'll do it. I can do it for you. I'll live. And you can too. And through that process, she became a Christian. He actually led her to a church. He said, hey, I'm going I'm to re- refer you to a couple churches. Check it out. They're solid. Go for it. You see, 
in this hostile world, what does it mean to represent the kingdom, to be an ambassador? What does it mean to represent the values of the kingdom with truth? Otherwise, what values do you represent? Which king do you fight for? So you have the sword of the spirit. You have the prayer to declare the gospel freely as an ambassador in chains. How do you apply it? When Jesus Christ encounters the devil, uh, what does the devil do? The devil lies. There are three temptations. Essentially, those three temptations are indulge yourself, serve yourself, preserve yourself. In fact, on one occasion, he takes Jesus up to this very high place, and he says, look at you can see all the kingdoms of the world here. If you just bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this. Now think about this. There is no place in the world. First of all, the world isn't flat. The world is round. So there's no place in the world where you can stand, where you can see the entire world with your view, where you can see every kingdom in the world. What was the devil doing? The devil was lying to Jesus. The devil was lying. What's the lie? Because what a lie is, a lie is always bigger than the reality that it poses to be. A lie always gets at your imagination. The lie is a lie because what it does is it takes your imagination, takes that desire or takes that guilt, takes that suffering, takes that sorrow, takes that shame, goes in there and starts to inflame your imagination in it. And what the devil says is basically, you can have all these things, Jesus. You can have everything, and you don't even have to go to the cross. You won't ever have to suffer. Does Jesus buy into the lie? No. Jesus says, no. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He says, it is written. He's quoting from the word of God. Three times he was tempted. Three times he responds with the sword of the Spirit. Jesus Christ is at war every day since the moment he was born here on this earth, and on this earth, and he has the sword of the Spirit. And each time he answers the word, there's your defense. That's your defense. Every situation, when he was hungry, he responds with the word of God. When he's tempted and there's lies, he responds with the word of God. When he's, when he's tempted to preserve himself, jump off from this place. Even It says, Satan even actually clings to the Bible and says, it says that angels will sweep you off your feet so that not even your heel would strike the ground. And Jesus Christ still responds with the word. Do not put your God to the test. Each time he answers with the word. Then you look at the Garden of Gethsemane the night that Jesus was betrayed. The first garden, the Garden of Eden, you see the lie. Why would God, Eve is looking at that fruit, why would God withhold this pleasing thing, this thing that looks so good? Why would he withhold such a good thing from me? And so her heart turned on the Father. Why would he keep away something that's making me happy? Adam and Eve, they bought into the lie. What does Jesus do? in Gethsemane. Fast forward to the other garden. He's in Gethsemane now. What's he doing? He's praying. He's praying. He's praying for the church. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. That we would, you know what he says? He says, my prayer is that they would believe. That they would see life and process it through the lens of real reality. That's my prayer. His prayer, Jesus' prayer, is that you would, be, you would have the strength and the wisdom to process life through the gospel, not just by what you see, not just by what you feel. But he says, my prayer is that you would process life through the gospel, 
that that would become your reality. He says, Father, I want these people to be with me. He's like, I want my reality to be their reality. I want you to process life that way. And he was alone. He was alone. He was alone. His disciples, he was asking them to pray. They fell asleep. There were people that were coming to arrest him at the same time. And so what's he doing? He's praying. He's praying in that dark moment when everyone is al- was asleep and he's alone. And he says, my heart is just overwhelmed to the point of death. When they arrested him, what happens? Even before that, he says, Father, not my will, yours be done. That was his prayer. Not my will, yours be done. He obeyed. That was his prayer, that I would know your heart and that I would do what you want to do, not what I want. He was seeking God, complete trust, even through his suffering. And so when they, people came to arrest him, what does Peter do? Peter takes out a sword, cuts off the, the servant of the high priest, cuts off his ear. How does Jesus respond? Peter, put down your sword. The scriptures, truth, the word of God must be fulfilled. He's Peter, this is what he's saying. He's saying, Peter, I know you believe. But in every circumstance in your life, when you're under pressure, you know what you do? You resort to power, your own, your own instincts. And so you rely on your own strength, your own power. Put that sword down. Swords represent the power to shape, shape behavior. He said, I want you to put that. You're doing it on your own strength. You're relying on your own power. You're relying on your own instincts. You just instinctively react in your natural way. He says, Peter, put that down. Let that die. Let it go. It's truth. The scriptures must be fulfilled. What he's saying is if you knew that truth, if you had the sword of the Spirit, you would know that God always saves through the suffering. God always saves through the brokenness. God always saves through death. I have to die, Peter. And so he was arrested. He was tried. And he's con- what's Jesus doing? Constantly processing his experience through the word of God. He's understanding it. He's fulfilling it. He's trusting in it. His friends have gone. He's been betrayed by his close friends. Everyone around him is mocking him and beating him, spitting on him. He could have bought into the lie. He could have easily bought into the lie. And then he's on the cross. And on the cross, you see the wrath of God pouring down on Jesus as the penalty for our sins. And he's so overwhelmed, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, what he's saying is now, I am totally unequivocally alone. I am alone. And yet at that moment, he could have believed the lie that God has abandoned him for good, that God is not for him, that God, even though he perfectly obeyed, that God withheld everything good from him. And yet you know what he was doing? He was reciting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was reciting Psalm 22. You know what the Psalms are? The Psalms are the word of God. Even in the darkest moment of his life, cosmically, spiritually, relationally, physically, on an earthly basis, in a cosmic level, 
Even in the darkest moment of his life, in his suffering, Jesus Christ was processing everything through the word of God. Even when God himself had abandoned them, Jesus was processing his life through the word of God, the sword of the spirit. He was, still, he was naked at the cross, but he had the word of God, the sword of God, and he had prayer. You know what the Psalms are? They're prayers. Psalms are prayers. Jesus was praying on the cross for us. Jesus was trusting God, even though God had abandoned him for us. Jesus Christ still obeying God. Look at the beauty of God. Look at the resilience of God. Look at the resilience of Jesus. Look at the beauty of Jesus. Look at the trust of Jesus. Look at the love of Jesus for his people. All the way to the end for us, because he knew there's no, we don't trust. We don't obey. We oftentimes don't think we can. We can't, we say. And yet Jesus Christ went all the way to the end, totally alone, suffered the only aloneness that renders him completely alone, separated from God on the cross, totally vulnerable, totally naked on the cross for us, without any armor for us, so that he can become our armor, so that he could be our breastplate, so that he would protect our heart, so that he could be our shield so that our feet would be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Jesus Christ was armed only with the word, only with prayer, and yet he still trusted God to the end. You know what psalms are? They're also songs. You know what that means? Jesus Christ was not only trusting God on the cross, he was not only praying to God on the cross, he was not only reciting scripture on the cross, he was singing. Does that sound like a through the defeat of Christ, there was victory. He was singing on the cross for us. That was his surety. That was his certainty on the cross for us. And that gave Jesus Christ the strength to take every blow for us. He trusted in the word to the end. Let that be your truth. Will you let that be your truth? If God could take Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the humiliation of Jesus, the persecution of Jesus, when you're persecuted, when you're suffering, when you're sick, when you're beaten down, when you're mocked, when you're scorned, when you're rejected, when you've lost, when you feel like you are in your darkest, lowest point, if God could use Jesus' darkest, lowest point to exalt him to the highest place, surely he would use your darkest and lowest points to do the same at the least. Can he not? Let Jesus' person and work be your shield of faith. Let it be your salvation. Cling to his promises. You know, his promises would mean nothing if he didn't rise again. Do you believe that is truth? If that is truth in your life, it will shape you. It will change your life. It will change everything. Let it be your shield of faith. Let the gospel be your salvation. Cling to his promises as your sword. Pray. Trust in him. He is the ultimate armor. So when you place your trust in him, the word of God stops being some pat thing that you do. It becomes real and alive and active in your life. Think about it. If you don't trust in Christ, you have no resource to get you through these lies, to get you through life. You have to brave everything. You have to brave your own guilt. You have to brave your own shame. You have to fight for approval, and you will be working down to the end. You have to prove yourself. You have to endure suffering on your own, and that means Mel Gibson in Signs was right. We are totally alone. You can't make it through. 
it gets harder. But to the degree that you trust in Jesus, there's the armor that you need. Will you believe it? Will you trust it, friends? Let's pray.